On Sunday mornings, Jeremy and I have been preaching from Galatians as on Wednesday night, different teachers have been kind of taking the Wednesday night uh, adult Bible class through Galatians. And I've enjoyed doing this. Uh, I know I missed the last three, uh, but I've enjoyed studying Galatians. Today, we're in this passage that was just read. And so if you've got your study sheet, did we hand out study sheets? Yay! Okay, well, if you've got your study sheets, go ahead and turn to that passage in Galatians chapter 5. It's a very familiar passage that documents the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And I want to just do a little bit of an analysis on that passage, because I think it is very, very powerful. And it has something to say to what your life is going to be like this next week. This is one of those passages which is absolutely universal in application. There is not a person on planet Earth who is not covered by the things that are talked about in this section of Galatians. This applies to everybody one way or another. I want to draw your attention first to these two verses that are kind of separated, but they have a similar theme, verse 17 and then verse 24. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, and they keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the way the uh, English Revised um, Version puts it. The English Standard Version puts it. They keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The flesh and the Spirit are in a relationship that sets them opposed to each other so that you end up not being able to do what you really want to do. It's an interesting image. Different translations do that differently. But I like the way that uh, that version says it. Uh, And Galatians 24 kind of picks that theme back up one time and says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh. with its passions and desires. In other words, Paul sets up a fight. He says, in you, right now, there is a fight. In fact, he warns us, Paul warns us, you are in a fight right now. And it's a fight for your soul. It is a fight for what's going to happen to you, not just in this life, although it dramatically affects what kind of life you live here. But this is a fight that determines what kind of an eternity you're going to have. Are you going to spend eternity with God, with all of the blessings of the presence of God? Are you going to spend eternity forever separated from God? Losing everything that God gives, every good thing that could possibly exist comes from God. Is that what's going to happen to you? You're in a fight. Every human being is in this fight. Every human being is in this fight. The thing is, if you're a Christian, you have an advantage, Paul says, because you have God's Spirit. And he wants to help us understand how the flesh on one side, and the flesh in Paul doesn't just mean your skin. It actually is the Greek word that would cover, you know, your, your meat, you know, your flesh. But it, it's much bigger than that. 
It actually means all of those aspects of you that lead you towards the loss of your soul, lead you towards the damnation of your soul. What are those things that operate in you? He says there's the flesh on the one side, but you have the Holy Spirit on the other side. And these two things are working against each other. They're in a fight for your soul right now. And then he begins to walk us through what that looks like. He starts with what the flesh looks like. Verses 19 through 21. Look at what he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul wants to tell us good news whenever he can tell us good news. He's a preacher of good news, right? He's an evangelist. He says, that's what I'm called to do. I'm to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't mince words here. He says, you let the flesh have its way with you, and it's going to end up robbing you of your place in the kingdom of God. You're going to be lost. He says, we're not joking about this. There is a fight going on for your soul right now between the spirit and the flesh. And the flesh is constantly working to cost you your place in the kingdom of God. It's interesting the way he phrases it. He contrasts the works of the flesh. You notice that? With the fruit of the spirit. And I want to make a, 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 I want to draw our attention to that contrast. Is sinning work? Is falling away from righteousness work? Jesus said, you know, there's a path and it looks wide and it looks easy. And a lot of people follow that path. And it ends up in destruction. So there's a path that looks hard, it looks narrow, it looks like a tight squeeze, it looks like it's going to mash me. And that's the path to life. And not very many people take that path. Sin tricks us into doing work for our own soul's loss. Jesus told a parable. It's a parable you're very familiar with. We usually call it the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you know, how many of us even use the word prodigal in any other context except for this one parable? That's a sign that language has moved on, folks. We probably need to update our description of this. The prodigal son. What does that mean? Prodigal means, well, in this case, it means the wasteful son. And he was an ungrateful, wasteful son. You remember the story, right? It's a perfect picture of what sin is like. Because sin starts out by promising us freedom. He says, Dad, 
I can't wait for you to die for me to get my inheritance. Give me my inheritance right now. I mean, it's just one of the worst insults you could have done in the first century. Actually, it'd be really insulting anytime you did that. He's an ungrateful, selfish, and it turns out, kind of not very smart son. Because he takes that money, I'm pretty sure he thought, oh man, if I have, if I have one third of the money my dad had, pretty soon I'm going to be a multimillionaire. He's going to see what money management's really like. And all he does is he goes and blows it. He just blows it. And pretty soon, what work is he doing? Do you remember? He starts off thinking, I'm going to be free. I'm not under my dad anymore. It's going to be great. You remember what work he ends up doing? He's a good Jewish boy. And he's feeding pigs. Filthy, nasty, hard, thankless work. I'm going to tell you something. I think Paul chose his words very carefully under the guidance of the Holy Spirit when he said, we're talking about the works of the flesh. Because the flesh constantly pressures us to work for our own damnation. The flesh is constantly there trying to trick us into working for our own damnation. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, these all have to do with sexual sins and sins that are related to that. And every one of those kinds of sins, I don't care if it's having an affair, cheating in your marriage, I don't care if it's, you know, just sleeping around in your, I don't care if it's, you know, uh, pornography and an addiction to pornography. Any kind of sexual perversion going outside of God's will with your sexual nature, it starts off promising you freedom. It ends up in making you engage in the filthiest, dirtiest kind of work. You're going to find yourself lying to your loved one. You're going to find yourself lying to yourself. You're going to find yourself spending your money and spending your resources trying to maintain the balance of this sexual sin that you have entrenched yourself in. Start off with what you think is freedom. End up working in dirty, filthy work. Same thing for this next group of sins that he lists. you notice those? Idolatry and sorcery. I just came back where I was for the weeks that I was gone was in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, and a little bit of time in Cambodia. And idolatry and sorcery, maybe not a huge deal in North America, though they're coming back. They're a huge deal in Thailand. They're a huge deal in Cambodia. Every hotel that I stayed in, including the really nice hotel where the the original Asian Mission Forum was held, sitting right outside the front entrance, was a miniature house. It's like a dollhouse. And and we asked about it. And it's a spirit house. And every morning, if you watch carefully, every hotel had one of these. If you watch carefully, there'll be some kind of food set out, fresh food set out. One hotel, there were little cups of uh, espresso and little croissants set out in front of the spirits of that house. One, one apartment building that we visited had two spirit houses. It had a big spirit house for the main spirit, and there was a, a child that had died in that apartment house. And so there was a little 
there was a little spirit house. And people would bring toys to the little spirit house because it was a child spirit that was there. You know, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm a jealous God. He says, don't be an idolater. Don't give yourself over to these gods and goddesses, these spirits and powers. I'm a jealous God. Why is God jealous? Why is God jealous? I don't hurt God at all if I give myself over to one of these spiritual powers. God's not jealous because it's going to do Him any damage. God is jealous because of the harm that I'm doing to myself. Because these gods and goddesses of the world, these spirit powers, constantly say to us, Oh, I can give you what you want. Just a little bit more offering. Just a little bit more service. Just a little bit more knowledge of my spiritual nature. Just a little bit more. You're almost there. You almost have the blessing of this spirit or that power or that magical ability. Just a little bit more. And they have no power to do anything. Start off with a promise. End up with just dirty, filthy work. Look at the next group of words that he uses. The works of the flesh are obvious. Enmity. That means I hate you. Strife. That means I want to fight you. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Just giving yourself over to anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. My side versus your side. So those are the works of the flesh. That's what the flesh is constantly trying to set up in you. And again, these things, these, these my side versus your side, they promise that, that somehow we're going to beat the bad guys. Insert who the bad guys are in your mind right now. But the flesh constantly takes whatever you think of as those guys in the church or those guys in politics or those guys in, in that country over there or those guys who belong to that religion over there. Whatever it is, you insert your own bad guys. The flesh is always right there next to you saying, Yeah, come on. Let the hate flow. Give in to the dark side. Get, let, let the darkness come out. They tell lies. They tell lies all the time, those bad guys. So we should have politicians and leaders who tell lies too. Got to fight fire with fire. They use violence. We ought to kill a few of them and see how they like it. They hate us. I hate them so much because they hate us. The flesh will start out by promising you victory and will end up making you do dirty, filthy, in the gutter work. Lie and curse and cheat. And eventually kill. You find yourself flying airplanes into buildings or driving cars into crowds because you hate them so much. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. It's constantly trying to get you build to build your own ramp into hell. It wants you to do the work. The works of the flesh are obvious. Greed. 
Well, I'm not greedy. Greed is, is Paul's word for the Old Testament word covetousness. If you're an American, you've been touched by covetousness. One third of our economy runs on covetousness. That is just the besetting sin of our culture, covetousness. Well, I just, I'm not, I'm not really covetous. I just like looking at nice things. I just like thinking about nice things. And, and, and the flesh says, it starts you out innocent. It starts out with little tiny doses. But if you let the flesh have its way, if you, if you give in to what the flesh is doing, eventually it's going to work you around. What is the ideal customer for Discover Card? I don't want to bash Discover. Visa's the same way. American Express is the same way now. What is the ideal customer for a credit card? The ideal customer. I told you, my I paid one of my credit cards off. My credit rating went down. What is the ideal customer for a credit card? It is by covetousness or by other reasons you get yourself into debt and every month you work to serve that debt. They even call it that. Servicing the debt. They don't want you to pay it off. They just want you to serve it. Ideally, right up to the month before you die. If they could work it out, that's what they would do. It's actually what the contract would read if, they, if the lawyers would let them, I'm sure. Covetousness. Greed. Starts out promising you, oh, you can have all these things. It ends up making you do dirty, filthy, rolling around with the pig's work. It says drunkenness. Orgies, those are his last two. They're kind of both in the category of just, I want to lose control for it. I work hard. I have a right to blow off some steam sometimes. Just have a little fun. This is not the real me. This, this person that's out there whooping it up, this is not the real me. But I have a right every now and then to kind of let go. I'll repent later. And the flesh promises you, oh yeah, this will make you free. See how free you feel? It'll end up making you do dirty, filthy work. There are certain friends that won't go with you. There are other friends that will join you. It'll change who you hang out with. It'll change what you think about. Even when you're not drunk. It'll change what you're able to spend your money on. It'll do all those things. It'll put you down in the gutter. If the flesh has its way with you, you will be the one who builds your own gallows to kill your soul. You'll do the work. That's the flesh. That's what Paul says. This is the, the works of the flesh. We all know what these are and we know what happens. If you, I warned you when I was there preaching to you, Paul says, I warned you, if you follow these kinds of things, you're going to lose your place in the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to inherit it. Then he switches gears. Look at verses 22 and 23. In verse 18 he says, If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
And then in verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. The law can't make you have love. It can tell you you ought to. It can't make it happen. The law has no power to to give you peace. The law can't make you be patient. The law can say, this is what you should be. And a lot of us, we read this list and we read it like it's law. Okay, I'm going to go out there and be patient. I guess it says I have to, so I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be gentle if I have to kill somebody. We read it like that. That isn't what he says. He says, it's the fruit of the Spirit that makes this happen. You aren't on your own in this part of the battle. The flesh is going to make you do all the work of building your own slide into hell. The Spirit is actually working all the time to grow the fruit in you. The spiritly, the Spirit constantly tends. The garden of holiness in us. That's kind of the imagery. It's a gardening image, right? The Spirit comes along beside us in order to constantly, wherever you are, tend the garden of holiness in your life. Wherever you are right now, the Spirit is that thing that says, let's take Let's move towards love. Let's move towards peace. Let's move towards gentleness. Let's move towards faithfulness. That's what the Spirit is. It's there all the time. Watering, planting, helping to flourish in you the fruit of the Spirit. For those who are caught up in hating those other guys, whoever they are, the fruit of the Spirit says, let's, let's take a step towards love. Let's take a step towards patience. Let's see if we can move a couple of inches towards kindness and goodness and gentleness. Those who are caught up in, I want to lose control, the Spirit says, you don't really want that. You know where that's going to end up. Let me help you take some steps towards self-control. Let me help you take a few moves towards being the real you, being in control. To those who are caught up in covetousness, greed, the Holy Spirit is right there trying to water within us the growth of peace. Where I can say, you know, I don't actually have to own that. I don't actually have to have that. I will live a perfectly rich and fulfilling life even if I don't buy a car this year. The Holy Spirit, that's, that's been in you all the time. I'm just, Paul's just helping us give it a name. You've been feeling the Holy Spirit watering, 
planting, nourishing, taking care of that, all of the growth of those things in your life ever since you've been a Christian. So the question comes down to this. The Spirit of God is always beside us. The question is, will we keep in step? That's kind of where he starts this passage and where he ends it. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Jesus calls the Spirit, in John 14 and following, He calls the Spirit the paraclete, the person who comes beside us, stands with us, is our companion. And there's multiple meanings to that, but, but you notice what that means. It's not, get yourself cleaned up and then maybe the Holy Spirit will uh, have something to do with you. If you're down there feeding pigs, the Holy Spirit will join you and will say, I know the way out. Let's get out of here together. And if you refuse the Holy Spirit, it'll come back and say, I know a way out of this mess that you're making of your life. Let's take a step together. The Holy Spirit is always there beside you, helping you to make steps. I've told several of you this, that uh, I had about two days to be a pure tourist on this uh, trip that I took to the Southeast Asia. We went to Cambodia, we went to Angkor Wat, and a couple of other uh, archaeological and temple sites. So I had seen pictures of Angkor Wat. The pictures are really, really, really tricky. It looks flat. You know, a couple of towers, three towers. Turns out Angkor Wat is two-thirds the height of the Eiffel Tower. The hottest I have ever been in my entire life is when I let the two people I was with, Steve Rain and Tim Woodruff, talk me into climbing that. Because when you're looking at it from a long ways, well, it's just right over there. We just, it's just a... No. No. It just kept going up and up and up and up and up and up. And I will admit to you that at the very, when we were climbing the central shrine, which has stairs about as steep as any of the Aztec pyramids, I was mainly just looking at the feet of Steve Rain. And he was having his own troubles. But I was just watching where he put his feet and I was just kind of one step at a time. Just follow where his feet go. I made it to the top. I was very grateful. The Holy Spirit is the part of God, the aspect of God, the person within God that will come right where you are. God the Creator made you from before the world was created. He's had the grand plan for your life. He knows what you can be. The Holy Spirit is the person in God that is right there with you as you are right this second. Whatever's messed up in your life, whatever's dirty in your life, whatever's wrong in your life, the Holy Spirit is right there saying, I know the way out. 
Will you take a step with me in the right direction? Will you follow with me as we walk out of this mess? Church, will you keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. If you do, step by little tiny step, the Holy Spirit will walk you right into the kingdom of heaven. If you need to respond to the invitation of God who has done everything so that you can be part of that kingdom, so you can escape the loss of your soul, so that you can receive the blessings of salvation. If you need prayers, if you need help that this church can provide and you want to ask for that publicly, or if you're ready to receive baptism to wash away your sins and begin the new life, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.